Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the John and Frank Show. Today, we're going to talk to you about rapid response investigation letters and responses to those letters. John, good morning. Good morning, Frank. I think this was the natural topic following last week's podcast. I really thought that the RRI piece was something we kind of opened the door to last podcast. And so I thought it might make sense to continue it here. With regard to the RRI letters, you know, they are becoming a more dominant inspection tool that I'm seeing more frequently in my practice. That is, instead of OSHA doing the more intrusive, come into the workplace and inspecting every every complaint, uh, every employer self-report, I'm seeing a, a lot more RRI letters these days than I have in the past. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably the same for you, John. Yeah, no, it is. And, and uh, you know, clients ask me about them, you know, especially clients that have been in safety for a while. And, and you know, they, they ask me, you know, kind of what my, my sense is, you know, why are we getting more of these? And, and I think there, there's really two reasons we're getting more of them. One is I think that as a result of the pandemic, people got familiar with and comfortable with, you know, dropping an email, picking up the phone and calling, what have you, OSHA, to file complaints about, you know, things that they saw in their workplace that caused them concern. The other thing is, is I think that enforcement activity, and there are stats that show that enforcement activity is up. And I think that it's just, it's, it's an extension of the fact that there's just not enough resources for OSHA to deal with every situation. And so, they can send out these rapid response investigation letters. It takes them just a few minutes to generate them. And, and, and you know, they don't have to, to, you know, for lack of a better term, and I'm, I'm not, to our friends in OSHA, I'm not uh, teasing anybody here, but I mean, they don't have to leave the comfort of their office. Whereas like, if you look at Houston North Area office and the geographical area that they cover, I mean, it can take two or three hours for them to get from Conroe over to some location in Beaumont. Yeah. So John, you know, I, I appreciate you standing up for the, the offices in the Houston area since uh, that's your, your area, but I'd say the whole region has quite a lot of territory to cover, right? The, from Baton Rouge to El Paso and from Corpus all the way up to Oklahoma city, those, each of those offices has a lot of territory to cover and, that can result in hours of driving uh, for those compliance officers. But going to the RRI letter, I agree that we're seeing more of them. I think another reason that we're seeing more of them uh, is because OSHA's gotten more comfortable using that as a tool, right? They're able to send out dozens of these letters a day if if they want to, meaning that they can touch dozens of companies a day if they want to. And uh, if you contrast that to the compliance officers that they have, if they have eight or 10 compliance officers, they can only do a maximum of eight or 10 contacts with companies a day. So I think the RRI tool really helps OSHA touch more people. 
or more companies and get to know more companies. I think that's an important aspect of the RRI for OSHA. Uh, also, I think, as you mentioned, over the pandemic, we certainly got used to this type of, uh, of virtual or indirect contact. But now I believe the whole industry is generally familiar with the RRI process, and it's a more accepted process. It's not one that is included in the regulations. And so it's a, it's a compromise that OSHA created to be able to make these contacts. And I mean, again, compromise in a positive way because of limited resources. And so uh, as we've all gotten more used to the RRI letter and, and OSHA's gotten more prolific in sending these RRI letters, I think it's given OSHA a better understanding of more companies, more industries, and those companies and the industry's understanding of the hazards and the way they address those hazards. So if we often talk about you know, cooperative relationships. I think that RRI letter has done a lot to increase cooperation between government and industry. I agree. And I also think that the RRI is a, a tool that OSHA can and does use basically to screen, you know, from dozens and dozens and dozens of complaints a particular area office receives those that are meritorious and, and, you know, maybe do need a little bit deeper look, those that are meritorious, but the employer, you know, basically demonstrates, you know, that, that a good faith effort in, in terms of responding to the investigation and in terms of addressing uh, an employee complaint or concern. And, and then, you know, those where, you know, after the employer explains the situation, it becomes apparent that, you know, the, the complaint either is lacking in merit or was the result of some sort of misunderstanding, which then kind of leads to this, Frank. You know, I kind of have a way of dealing with RRI investigation letters, you know, and, and I almost never use the form and instead do a letter to OSHA. You know, I kind of start off with a little bit of a discussion about, the client, if it isn't self-evident what the client does, um, even if it is self-evident in terms of what the client does, a lot of times I like to give a little bit of an explanation for what the client does at that particular location. Because even though you say somebody works for ABC company, ABC company, you know, may have warehousing or manufacturing or what have you. And so, you know, you may need to distinguish ABC's location in Houston versus ABC's location in Dallas. Then I like to give some attention to, you know, kind of what the client does relative to their health and safety program, you know, how effective it is, how they manage things, you know, how, how you know, large their safety team is, that sort of thing. And then, you know, I kind of address, you know, based on an investigation of what the complaint is, you know, the complaint and, you know, why the complaint either lacks merit or if the complaint has merit, you know, then what the client is going to do in terms of mitigating or abating that hazard. What is your approach to the RRI letter in responding to it? It's real similar. I think I agree with you at the beginning of the letter. I think there's real value in saying, Hey, this is the company. This is what the company does. 
Uh, I mean, we're in this business because it's interesting, uh, the work that's done, uh, manufacturing, construction, even agriculture, uh, all, all these different businesses have a very interesting aspect to it. And, and by say we're all in this, I don't mean just you and me and, and the other lawyers in our workplace safety group, but even the OSHA uh, compliance officers and the managers, they're interested in seeing other businesses. It's, it's kind of like that uh, show, How Whatever Works. It's interesting to understand where things come from and what companies make these things, either manufacture them, grow them, or or build them. It's interesting to see how how these these items originate. And then you're right. Uh, I I like to look at the safety program. Uh, I I like to highlight the, the nice aspects of the safety program. And uh, I think it's important to do that in this type of letter when you're especially when you're corresponding with OSHA uh, or maybe even another government agency. I think it's important for them for that agency, in this case, OSHA, to understand that the employer understands its business, understands its hazards, and understands how to abate employee exposure to those hazards in a general way. So that's how I start my letters. It sounds like it's real similar for you. I think we're pretty much on the same page. And I think, you know, from the standpoint of the strategy, you know, at the end of the day, I want OSHA to believe and to feel and and to accept as true that if even if there is a hazard in the workplace, my client's going to undertake whatever it needs to undertake to correct that deficiency and make sure that their employees are not exposed to a hazard as a result of whatever the issue is that's raised in the complaint, assuming there's legitimacy to the complaint. If, if the complaint's invalid, you know, I try real hard to, to make sure that OSHA understands that, look, and you know, we've actually looked at this and, you know, here are the reasons why this doesn't really expose the employees to a hazard as this person has alleged. I think that's right. Uh, I, I think you're for a complaint. That's consistent with my experience. If it's a complaint, just go right at it, right? Say, well, here's here's what the employee complained about, or here's what the individual complained about. We don't always know who complained, and OSHA rarely would tell us. So this is the allegation and the complaint. Maybe we under, you know, maybe uh, I write in the letter and say, I understand why you you would follow up on this or why they might make the complaint, but Either here's why the complaint is invalid on its face and explain the policy that's in place and how the hazard's already been addressed. And the alternative, if it hasn't been addressed, and sometimes that is the case, then uh, the way I like to say it is we see the issue, we evaluated the issue, and uh, we address the issue by enhancing our policy, by enhancing our training, uh, by doing both whatever it is, by adding another guard, you know, whatever, that we took a meaningful look at it and we took these steps. Um, And of course, for me, the goal in writing that statement and to wrapping up the RRI response is to give an assurance to OSHA that it's not creating, that the alleged hazard is not creating or is not continuing to create and exposure to employee injury or or death. Well, one element that I wanted to raise, though, as we're talking about 
the rapid response letter. I, I agree with you. I, I don't fill out the form. But one of the questions on the form that OSHA sends is who was included as part of your investigation team? And I always like to try to include rank and file employees on an investigation team, assuming I have somebody who would be a good fit for an investigation team. I like to include employees, uh, rank and file employees. And I like to tell OSHA that I've included rank and file employees because over the years, I've found that uh, a lot of the area offices really appreciate it and maybe give you an an extra checkpoint in the credibility column when you include rank and file employees on the investigation team. Uh, Any thoughts? Well, and I think this is driven by the nature of the complaint that is involved um, or the nature of the situation that's involved. And, And, you know, last week's podcast, we spoke or I spoke about a recent one where a gentleman fell at work as a result of what appears to be some sort of personal medical condition. In that case, there really wasn't a need to involve folks other than, you know, kind of, you know, as historians, because it was entirely fact-driven by the precise details of what happened. And, you know, I can't go into further detail on it in this episode, but I mean, it was one of those where, you know, if you had a video of what happened, that would have been the best way of explaining that this is not something that's a result of something that happened in the the workplace, but this is something else. There certainly are those situations where I had a a fall case up in the Dakotas uh, several years ago. And, you know, unfortunately, and, and people don't realize this, but an enormous number of people fall while walking, not elevated at all, and die as a result of that. So this gentleman fell, lost consciousness, and you know, about 15 hours later died. We didn't have him to, to, to comment on it. We didn't have a video to comment on it. And so you know, we had to include employees in the investigation because those folks were the folks that actually observed things. And we did include them. You know, we, I have other ones, you know, and in and, and, and last week's episode, we talked about this, where it's this kind of combined work and residential type arrangement. And, you know, there, there's an employee complaint and, you know, we were already on it and we were already working it through when the employee did this. And, and, you know, there wasn't really a need to, to, to involve anybody. It was just explained to OSHA that, yeah, we're aware of a problem. And, you know, these are the things that we're doing to address it. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, in, in this particular case, it was a bed bug infestation. Yeah, there's only so much control that the employer has over that. And there's only so many things that an employer can do as a result of that. But I, I agree with you in, in, in circumstances where it's merited involving the employees and, and mentioning the fact that employees were involved in the investigation is helpful. Now, my question back to you, though, is do you actually identify the employees by name or as I typically do, I typically refer to folks kind of by position. It's rare that I will use somebody's name in a response draft. Uh, I typically do it by position because that's the relevant part, right? That, that, to reference the position, that's really the relevant information for purposes of a letter. Uh, you know, if I just say, yeah, John came to this conclusion, uh, I'm interested in what John has to say, but 
uh, I'm more interested in what John stands for, uh, the VP of safety, right? Uh, so I, I think that it's a more efficient and, and um, a more practical way to describe who conducts investigation, what they concluded. That's how I prefer to do it. Uh, but I'll tell you this, it, it also is backstopped against my general theory that less is best. You throw too much clutter in one of these letters and it just stands to confuse the issue. And uh, I'm always concerned that throwing too much uh, excessive stuff into the letter makes it look like you're being less than candid or you have something to hide. Let me throw something in on that. And, and this kind of goes back to something you said a couple of uh, answers ago or a couple of questions ago, and that is about the complaint item. I actually include... You know, and it could be, you know, whether it's a single concern or there's multiple concerns, I actually include, you know, the complaint was colon and then almost without fail and italics, I put the exact wording of what the complaint was. And I usually do them complaint by complaint if there are several complaints in a single RRI um, and, and, and address each one of them, you know, kind of separately. But I, I think it's important and I think you raised a good point there that it's important that you actually head on directly respond to that complaint. And I think including it in your response directly does that and, 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 you know, directly impacts or, 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 or it's, it's a clear indication that, you know, we're not dancing around anything. We're not throwing in additional information. And I also think to your point just now, I think it also does lend itself to that sort of less is more concept in terms of the answer. Yeah. I, I've always found that to be important that, uh, that less is more, right? I, it, too much, too much is just burdensome and not helpful. So complaints about a specific condition. Also, you might have to provide a detailed description uh, of, of a specific incident. It's not always a complaint that this was an issue, but it could be that somebody got hospitalized. And so tell me how they got hospitalized. You've got to provide uh, a little bit of context for, for that. For me, it follows the same analysis. It's the old analysis we learned in, in law school, right? Uh, IRAC, IRAC, issue uh, the rule, the analysis, and the conclusion. Uh, the issue is the what was the complaint. The, the rule could be your workplace safety rule, could be, could be the standard you're applying. Then you analyze how, how you've addressed that issue whatever the, the issue is that you needed to address. And then the conclusion is kind of that closing guarantee. Here's why our enhancements, our, our additions, our improvements, how, whatever uh, adjective you want to use, is, are designed to, to uh, abate the hazard and to ensure employees don't get hurt or killed at work. Uh, I, I think that probably covers the majority of it. One of the things, though, I always like to remind myself of and anybody else I'm talking to when they're preparing this is that is, it's really important, number one, to respond timely to these inquiries, right? We've talked about this uh, in many podcasts. Uh, but when OSHA sends these RRI letters, they've got a deadline where they expect the company to respond to the RRI inquiry. And sometimes your investigation might take longer and you can ask for an extension, ask for a few days. Have you ever had a problem managing those time expectations with OSHA? No, I've not. And, and I mean, there've been a couple of instances where I just couldn't get in touch with somebody to request the extension. 
And so, you know, I, I what I typically do in those instances, and, and it does happen, I send them kind of a preliminary and say, look, you know, this is preliminary. And when we get to the point that we've actually completed the process, you know, we'll do this and we expect that we're going to complete the process by whenever. That's a good point. And I would piggyback onto another point that I, I, I don't think we mentioned is that ideally you'd like to be able to wrap up your final letter with a nice bow on it so OSHA can put it in the file and close the file. Sometimes I see employers writing and saying, yeah, we've started working on this and we expect to have an improvement six months down the road. And we expect to have another improvement 12 months down the road. And then 24 months later, we're going to do something else. Uh, and what I've found is that's an invitation for follow-up from OSHA. So my preference when I'm responding to these letters is to try to wrap it up in a nice bow uh, with my final correspondence. I mean, notwithstanding what you do, right? I agree. If you can't get a hold of somebody, you can't get it done, you say, we're still working on it. Here's our interim finding. We'll send you another update as soon as we get finished with it by X date. I'm very hesitant to put too many continuing deadlines out there because I find that it invites uh, follow-up from OSHA. Well, and, and, and I mean, look, I call it RRI, you call it R2I, is that first R, which is wrap. OSHA sends these out as a means of rapidly investigating. And I mean, I think correspondingly, rapidly wrapping up the investigation. And so the goal is for all parties to get this done in a timely manner. Now, sometimes the RRI deadline is super short and and truthfully because of the size of the company or because of something that's going on with the employer, you know, it's difficult for them to get it done in that short period of time. And, and, and I mean, there, there's all kinds of circumstances that might lead to, you know, we need another few days, we need another week saying we're going to do this in, in six months and that in 24 months. And, and, you know, we'll have this all wrapped up in, in, in five years. That's not rapid. And to your point, it, that's not going to bring this to close. So what it's going to do is it's going to bring OSHA out to your work site, to your, your place of employment to, to do a, a full-fledged or maybe a partial inspection of the workplace. And, and kind of winding down this episode, Frank, as we're kind of getting near our time, I think it's important that we address the issue of the RRI as essentially a screening tool and how the RRI, you know, basically can separate out those things that OSHA needs to go out and investigate or inspect and those things they don't. And how, even though you've responded to the RRI letter, you may still get an in-person inspection. Could you talk about that a little bit, Frank? Well, yeah, it's a possibility, right? That's kind of my inference whenever I'm saying that I'm either, I haven't answered and said, look, it's, it's fully abated, uh, no risk to uh, future employee injury or death, uh, right? Because we like to have that, that, OSHA likes to be able to close the file. If they're not going to be able to close the file because the employer either hasn't admitted or hasn't identified a correction uh, that's, that addresses the issue raised in the RRI, or if the employer has too many abatement deadlines too far out, right, with no good interim measures for abatement, uh, I think that invites OSHA to come out. And that's why when I'm responding to an RRI, there's some simple things I try to keep in mind. And I, I'll offer these by way of summation, right? 
number one, always be uh, prompt and timely in the responses to the inquiries. I'm, I'm always careful to do that. I always want to be confident about the efficacy of the safety program. I tend not to to waver on the quality of the safety program. And hopefully we feel that way about the safety program that for the company that we're representing, right? That the safety program is, is effective as is. However, my third point, I like to explain how we've addressed any potential hazard or how we've enhanced the, the excellent existing safety program to give OSHA more assurance that they're not going to get another complaint about it or or that another complaint about it would, wouldn't have good merit, and, and that the alleged hazard is not going to lead to serious physical injury or death, right? We like to have those things clearly encapsulated in the response. There's one other aspect. I'd make it my number four, and I always talk about this, inspection, detection, and correction. A, a, an effective safety program is going out looking for issues like this, and if you've got that, as, if an employer has that aspect, of their program, I like to include it. Look, we have a regular inspection, detection, and correction program. Uh, we've addressed this potential, the, the issue raised in the complaint before, and here's what we've done. Again, keeping it narrow, but again, giving OSHA that confidence that you know what you're talking about uh, is something I like to, to put in the letter. And then lastly, uh, try to stem any employee complaints in the front end by having that active uh, solicitation policy, going out, talking to employers, having the no-door policy, uh, so employers are able to address those issues on the floor. Those are my five my five general steps uh, when it comes to uh, managing employee complaints and, and doing RRI responses. I think those are all good points, Frank. And, and you know, I think, you know, one of the things that you said that I, I think folks really need to kind of internalize and, and, you know, kind of accept and, and, and try to put into action is, you know, that you are taking your safety program seriously. OSHA ultimately at the end of the day is not looking to come out and do inspections. They're looking to make sure that they don't have to come out and deal with a fat cat or something else, or that, you know, quite frankly, that there isn't a news article or, or news piece somewhere about how employees had complained to OSHA and, OSHA never went out and inspected, and, and they want to make sure that when we respond to the RRI, they don't have to worry that the area director is going to get some bad press because they didn't go out and do an inspection after employee complaints. That hits the nail on the head. Perfect summary, right? No one wants to be embarrassed. Uh, no one, no matter what their job is, no matter where they are. John, thanks so much for talking to me this morning. I uh, hope you have a good rest of your week, and I look forward to our next conversation. Well, I do too, Frank. Have a great week, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.